Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oh, gee, Gavin, I don't know. I mean, I would have to say the reason so many of those African countries were poor was because your country plundered them for like two centuries. Yes. The following podcast contains... You used to be a kind, loving man, and now you're a foul-mouthed monster. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. We decided a 4,000 mile long human centipede was the solution to hunger in America. What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is episode number 347, the Hold My Hand Across America edition of the show, where we talk about that time America tried to pull itself together by holding hands across it. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by a big dumb idea. When you've got a pressing social issue that should be solved by the government, but you'd rather do a publicity stunt, you're ready for a big dumb idea. Be it child poverty, postnatal death rates, or massive wealth imbalance, no crippling social issue that requires actual government intervention is too big for a big dumb idea. Our staff of public relations specialists, marketing analysts, and brand managers are ready to conceive and implement a massive campaign designed to raise awareness without actually addressing the root of the problem. A big dumb idea. What if you gave a war and everyone came to a concert instead of trying to end it? Good evening. This is the CBS Evening News. Susan Spencer reporting. From the Atlantic to the Pacific, millions of Americans lent a hand to the poor today, literally joining hands in a human chain that snaked from coast to coast. The fundraising extravaganza called Hands Across America hoped to raise $50 million to feed the poor. As Bruce Morton reports, there were gaps in the line, but few in the spirit. From California to the New York Island, millions of Americans held hands today. The New York end of the line started at Battery Park, nice view of the Statue of Liberty, and it started with a six-year-old homeless girl named Amy Sherwood. The line ended where the old steamship Queen Mary is docked in Long Beach, California. In between, lots of celebrities and millions, probably, of ordinary Americans. We may never know just how many. Organizers said everyone was welcome to line up and hold hands whether they'd paid or not. Some people interrupted their normal activities. President Reagan interrupted whatever it is presidents do on Sunday afternoons and held hands with some White House staffers and their children. He did not have to leave home. The line came to him. Some people didn't interrupt anything. Nancy Dermaskin and Andrew Tobias brought their entire wedding party and joined the line in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Some places weren't on the route and decided to join in anyway. This is Boston, Massachusetts. But people were holding hands and carrying on as far away as Alaska. And come to that, some Americans joined in in Japan and South Korea. A lot of people today think that the 1980s were the most egotistical and selfish decade in American history. Was it? Kind of. 
Oh, yeah, but it wasn't a complete narcissist breakfast for the venal soul. I mean, Americans still cared about stuff. Cocaine. Glorious cocaine. Again, yes, but we also cared about other stuff. We, we believed that if we all just pulled together as a people, we could make sure that everyone had what they needed to get ahead in life. Admittedly, a lot of the time, what people thought they needed to get ahead in life was, uh... Maybe just a little bump. I confess that most of these little social fun fest passed me by in the 1980s. I was not what one would call socially conscious in high school. I spent most of my time worried about more personal problems. Come on, man. I just want to see some boobs. As a teenager, the pressing issue of seeing and hopefully touching a breast was far more relevant to my life than famines in Africa, the plight of the American farmer, and since we still didn't think that straight people could get it, the AIDS epidemic. And you are a horrible person. I'm not going to try and deny that, but in my defense, I was 16 and 16-year-old boys are, in general, horrible people. I was aware there were problems in the world. It's just that I didn't know what I could do about it. This was long before social media, so it wasn't like I could immediately change everything for the better by, say, uh, dumping a bucket of ice-cold water over my head. I mean, like, we totally cured ALS after all that, right? I mean, no one's suffering from that anymore. Back in the 1980s, the only people who felt like they could do something were obviously Bob Geldof and John Cougar Mellencamp. I, not being a world-famous rock star, was necessarily more limited by what I could do. And seeing as most of my available cash was tied up in cigarettes, weed, and wine coolers, I had to prioritize what was most likely to get to my goal of seeing, and hopefully touching, a boob. And it totally worked when exchanged for said cigarettes, weed, and wine coolers. My uh, friend Mike's sister, let me uh, take a look at hers. Thank you for your support. Not everyone was a horny 16-year-old, however, and there was real efforts in the 1980s for the rich and famous to do something about all the troubling social ills at the time. It started in 1979 when a coalition of musicians started what they call Musicians United for Safe Energy. Well, seeing as Muse was composed of Jackson Brown, Graham Nash, Bonnie Raitt, Harvey Wasserman, and John Hall, that's not entirely wrong. Muse, you see, was against nuclear power because back then we all thought that burning millions of tons of coal a year was so much safer than emission-free, actually low-waste nuclear power. And how did that work out? Well, the planet's boiling in his own shit, so draw your own conclusions. They put together a series of concerts at Madison Square Garden in 1979 that culminated in a giant outdoor show on the battery that over 200,000 people attended. The concert album is one of the greatest of its kind. It features Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band, James Taylor, Carly Simon, Shaka Khan, the Doobie Brothers, Jeff Jesse Collin Young, Gil Scott Heron, Tom Petty, Dan Fogelbrook, Proko, and so oh, many more. And what's more, Muse and the No Nukes concerts worked. I mean, they totally didn't get rid of nuclear weapons, which were and are a threat today, but they helped sell America on the idea that nuclear power was dangerous and scary, something we still think today, even though it's the one affordable, mature technology that could actually help us meet global emissions goals in time to save the battery from being six feet under New York Harbor. Great job, guys. Four years later, there was a different problem that only rock stars could solve. The idea of propositioning young girls. 
Oh, no, that wasn't a problem with them. They were really, really okay with that. I'm talking about all the starving children in Africa. You see, in 1983, Ethiopia was hard hit by a famine. After a combination of civil war and drought destroyed not only the farms, but the infrastructure to get what food there was, which wasn't much, to the people, which there were a lot of. That's when musician Bob Geldof of the Boomtown Rats and writer-producer Midge Ure saw the news reports and they were struck with one earth-shattering question. What can I say about this song that I didn't already say back in episode number 191 when I put it this way? Do they know it's Christmas? Well, gee, since the dominant religion of Ethiopia is Christianity and presumably someone has access to a calendar, I rather imagine that someone was probably aware that it was indeed Christmas time. Not that they were particularly concerned about Christmas time, since it was dinner time that was a far more pressing problem. The, uh... Single raised around $10 million at the time, around $26 million in today's money, much of which was probably used by the various factions in the Ethiopian Civil War to buy weapons. Keep up the good work. This, of course, is a fact hotly disputed by the various groups who funneled the money into Ethiopia, but not at all by the international arms dealers who pocketed said money. Not to be outdone by our mother country, American musicians decided the following year that they needed to do their part as well. Activist and actor Harry Belafonte Jr. quickly organized USA for Africa and got Lionel Richie and lover of young children Michael Jackson Dave, come on! to write the song We Are the World. The song and video directed by Quincy Jones' We Are the World was a who's who of American music in 1984 and could be a show in and of itself because it got saucy behind the scenes. The songs and the concerts Live Aid went on to raise nearly $150 million in today's money for African famine relief, which I assure you purchased an incredible amount of arms and ammunition for the war and parties and at least a couple of tons of rice for the starving people in the refugee camps. You know, you are a cynical bastard, you know that? I tend to prefer being thought of as realistic. I would be remiss if I did not take this chance to mention two other projects in this genre. The first, of course, must be Canada's contribution. Canada. No, goes without Canada. This podcast speaks no ill of Canada. We will not say the same for the Northern Lights tears are not enough. Ethiopia, famine is along each road and at the gates of every town. It's feared close to a million could die within months unless the world responds with a massive relief effort. As every day goes by, how can we close our eyes until we open up our hearts? We can learn to share and show how much we care. This song is so treacly, 
it makes we are the world seem downright edgy. If my records could talk.com put it this way when they said, quote, the Northern Lights song sold well in Canada, but did not make much noise outside the great white North. I blame it on David Foster and his massive ego as a songwriter. He gave that esteemed group a piece of his usual schlock, then removed the soul of the song and singers until what was left was just another Peter Cetera's sounding single of the time. That's unfortunate because he had a veritable who's who of Canadian rock at his fingertips with Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Helen Reddy, Gordon Lightfoot, and Getty Lee of Rush, to name a few. At least Quincy Jones knew how to back out of the way and let his iconic singers do what they do best. Hell, Foster told Neil Young to redo his vocals because Young was flat. At least Young had the balls to remind Foster that's how he sings, unquote. On the other hand, there was a subset of very popular American music at the time that wasn't asked to participate in We Are the World. I guess my invitation must have been lost in the mail. So, Ronnie James Dio, that tiny metal god, gave us hearing aid and the song Stars. struggle to cut that song off if I thought I could get away with it. I'd let the entire seven minutes of it roll through, but I'm fairly certain I would lose almost all of you. Hearing Aid was way smaller than the others for many reasons, but probably mostly because the fan base spent their money on cigarettes, weed, and wine coolers hoping they could see boobs with them. But what Hearing Aid did raise in cash didn't go to bulk payments or food shipments that may or more likely may not have actually reached the starving people. Instead, according to Ronnie James Gio's wife, Wendy, in Loudersound.com, she said, quote, sales of the star single, a subsequent album and other merchandising items enabled hearing aid to raise a reported $1 million in its first year. And Wendy Dio estimates that more than $3 million was eventually bought, brought in. Aware that much of the Band-Aid money had gone astray because of government corruption, the hearing aid profits were used to buy and send agricultural machinery, unquote. Speaking of agriculture, there were efforts at home to help out, such as farm aid. 
you see in the mid-1980s thanks to old you-know-who. Ronald Wilson Reagan. Yeah, who else but the gubber? Small family-owned farms were disappearing faster than compassion for the poor and sound fiscal policy at the Pentagon. During the 1980s, American farmers confronted an economic crisis more severe than any since the Great Depression. Agricultural communities throughout the Midwest and across the nation were devastated. Families were forced from the land, lenders went belly up, and businesses on rural main streets closed, many to never reopen. This is another topic that one day we'll get a full episode, but let's just say in short that the business-friendly policies of the Reagan administration suddenly made it very easy and cheap for large agribusiness corporations to buy up and consolidate small farms into massive ones and run them with cheap labor, largely from illegal immigrants. And that was not going down well in the heartland. This is when Willie Nelson, John Mellicamp, and Neil Young come in. Modeling their benefit on the recent benefits for Africa, they organized a concert series with the money raised going to help the American farmers. No word on whether or not international arms dealers got a cut, but given the huge amount of guns in the middle of, of America, I wouldn't rule it out. Farm Aid was originally intended to be a one-and-done sort of thing. We uh, raise a bunch of money, give it to struggling farmers, and boom, problem solved like buckets of ice water over your head. However, Willie Nelson wrote in 2015 on FarmAid.org, quote, John Mellencamp often says now that we were naive to think that just one concert would fix things. And I suppose we were. 30 years later, we're still here, unquote. And pod friends, here is where they still are, still trying to help the small family farmer in 2022, COVID allowing. There were other myriad benefit groups and concerts that continue to this day. But after 1986, they sort of lost their luster, their ability to generate the kind of enthusiasm of even, say, Canada's northern stars. Sorry, Canada. Apology not accepted. You see, Ken Cragen, an activist and big money organizer behind USA for Africa, had noticed that hungry people were not just a problem in Africa, but people right here in the good old U.S. of America were going hungry too. I skipped lunch, but I've been snacking all day. You are in... Now, I know I've been really hard on all these groups with the exception of Hearing Aid because that song fucking rocked. <laughs> Each and every one of the organizers and the performers' hearts were in the right place. Their heads were just up their asses. And yeah, they did some real, tangible good for the people affected by these tragedies. And let's face it, they were life-changing for the various militia forces in Africa who were really in a jam until that gun money came through. So I know I sound like an asshole, and I am. But I'm about to sound like an even bigger asshole because what Ken Cragen came up with was by the standards of his day and by today, fucking stupid. And I mean really fucking stupid. Because what Cam came up with was, all right, I'm just going to come out and say it. What if America held hands? Yeah. What if everyone got in a line stretching from coast to coast and, you know. And then we held hands. What's more they would keep holding hands and create a chain of people holding hands from New York City to Santa Monica, California. And I can hear some of you already saying, How does that even work? And I'm here to say to you, it didn't. And I can hear others of you saying, when it comes to people not having food, How does that help? Again, 
I'm here to tell you, it didn't. The idea went something like this. Millions of Americans would donate 10 bucks for a place in the 4,125 mile line of people stretching across the country. And that money, along with corporate donations, would then go to help feed the hungry right here in the USA. One did not need to chip in the 10 bucks to participate, but most folks did. And at the end, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, May the 25th, 1986, while, a, while around 500 radio stations simultaneously played the song. Boy, that's just a real banger. Everyone would link hands and for 15 minutes, all of America, or at least the four or five million people that showed up, was united in solidarity to help feed the hungry. Except, of course, for the huge swaths of America where nobody fucking lives. The map of the line snakes out of New York into New Jersey, down across Pennsylvania and Maryland, through D.C., where none other than the fucking Gipper himself took part, back up to Pennsylvania, into Ohio, up through Indiana, and then into Illinois, hitting Chicago, then turning south to St. Louis, towards Memphis and Little Rock, then over Oklahoma and Texas to Amarillo, then to Albuquerque. I knew I should have taken that left point of over to Phoenix, and that's when it crossed over the vast desert of Death Valley, California, and into Los Angeles, where it ended up at the Long Beach Pier. And all along the chain, there were large fucking gaps because it was in places where eight or nine people lived in the first place. History.com sums it all up by saying, quote, From the nation's capital, hands across America moved westward. In Pittsburgh, nuns and hell's angels clasped hands. Fifty Abraham Lincoln impersonators did the same in Springfield, Illinois, only to be topped by 54 Elvis Presley lookalikes in Memphis. The chain was not without its missing links, particularly through the searing deserts of the southwest. In some places, ranchers filled the voids by placing their cattle hoof to hoof. Singer Robert Goulet was helicoptered to sparsely populated Vicksburg, Arizona with the residents of a homeless shelter to bury a time capsule commemorating this event, unquote. This is 1986. Robert Goulet had been a has-been for at least 20 years. He was so far past a sell-by date by this time that even Elvis wouldn't have bothered to shoot the television when he saw the news reports of it. Mental Floss has this to say, quote, when Hands Across America launched at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on May sun, uh, Sunday, May 25th, 1986, the Associated Press estimated that 4,924,000 people would be participating based on counts gathered from local community organizers. If the intervening 40-odd years have taught us anything is not to trust crowd numbers from community organizers, it was probably closer to 3 million. While concentrations were heavy in some states like New York and New Jersey, others found themselves short. Indiana needed 400,000 people, but just 250,000 showed up. In Sanders, Arizona, 109 people stood in a section that needed 1,320 to even appear complete. When there was a gap in the line, organizers filled it with ribbons, ropes, banners, and even cattle. When a bus driver in New Jersey saw a break in the line, he pulled over and asked his passengers to complete the connection, unquote. 
And there were, oh, so many celebrities. I don't have the math to back it up, of course, but I have to figure there must have been one celebrity for every 20 regular-ass people in the lines of New York and Los Angeles. ABC News said, quote, when else would the Reverend Billy Graham join forces with the likes of Oprah, Prince, Jane Fonda, and Jerry Seinfeld? The massive human line featured a 21-year-old Brooke Shields on the George Washington Bridge, Bill and Hillary Clinton in Arkansas, and Kenny Rogers braving blistering heat in the Southwest. In Pittsburgh, nuns held hands with the members of the Hells Angels, and Maryland scuba divers forded the Susquehanna River through sparsely populated New Mexico. Ranchers lined up cattle horn-to-horn to fill the missing humans. And at Ohio SeaWorld, Shamu, the killer whale went a helping fin unquote as i mentioned earlier even old ronnie himself held hands admittedly it was not with the common rabble but with a special diversion of the line that included the white house as it passed through washington dc well that's mighty white of you that he the man who had pushed through so many of the cuts to the same social programs that you know actually fed fucking people was wedged into a manipulated line next to billy graham and mary lou retton wasn't lost on activists at the time indeed the week before the event reagan had actually remarked in an interview that poor people were only hungry because of a quote lack of knowledge by the poor about where to obtain the food unquote well uh there are those dumpsters behind mcdonald's eh? you could always try there He would go on to say in a proclamation as reported by the New York Times, quote, by joining together in this way in the cities and towns along the back roads and mountain highways from sea to shining sea, the people of this blessed land are reaffirming their willingness to sacrifice so that adequate food and shelter are available to all, unquote. Oh, gee, gosh, willikers, Mr. Reagan, ain't that swell? All those hungry folks that could be fed by taking just a little money from the very rich and using it to feed the very poor could be helped if all of the rest of us in America gave a little more for our own pockets aside from the money that we paid in fucking taxes for the ostensible reason of promoting the common goddamn good, which of course the common good of our corporate overlords is the intent of yours and not the fucking citizens of the country. Sorry. Sorry. I just keep looking back on Ronald Reagan and going, that's the fucker that started all of this. You might notice that uh, there's a theme to the show. And it isn't that charity is bad. It's that conservatives are now and always have been evil cocksuckers. So uh, I hear you ask, uh, Dave, uh, how much money did this ill-fated, ridiculous boondoggle clusterfuck of an idea raise? And how much of it actually went to help people? Besides the international arms merchants who presumably got their cut off the skim. You're cynical. I get it. I really do. Well, totals vary depending on sources, but between 25 and $30 million of the anticipated $50 million were raised by various donations, half of which went to actually feeding hungry people. The remainder went to the various insurance companies, corporate underwriters, and marketing agencies that uh, helped. By any standard, when half the money raised goes to pay overhead, your charity is fucked. Not the kind of fuck you, I got your money, and I'm going to use to buy paintings of me levels of fucked that modern conservative politicians embrace, but still, 
pretty goddamn bad. By the standards of what even a modest government program ran by people who are professionals at getting aid where it is needed, you know, the kind of programs that Ronnie gutted in his various budgets and uh, continue to be ignored and neglected well through the Clinton administration, into the Bush administration, into the first Obama administration, through, of course, the Trump administration, and now largely by the Biden administration, $15 million is just couch cushion change compared to what the government could actually do in a well-run social benefit program. Therein lies the rub, pod friends. All of these noble efforts from from Bob Geldof and trying to get food to Africa all the way through uh, hands across America and right up till today are a pittance of what the coordinated efforts of governments could do actually help people in need. What Africa needed wasn't a bunch of coked up rock stars singing with Quincy Jones. What the farmers needed wasn't Willie Nelson knocking the resin out of his hash pipe and singing Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. Or what hungry people in America needed then, as they do now, was a concentrated effort by the fucking government to make sure that its people are housed, clothed, fed, and have health care. But apparently, that's communism. Unless, of course, you're white and vote for the GOP, and that's just what you're entitled to, I guess. You know, things weren't perfect before old Reagan administration. But they got a damn sight worse during it, and have just gotten worse after it. So maybe we need some sort of rock star benefit hands across America to fix this fucking government to get us some goddamn voting rights and to fucking kick these corporate fucking bastards right in the crotch like they fucking deserve. We're not going to get that. So I don't know. Enjoy the hands across America song or something. Count yourself lucky I didn't play the Northern Stars. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. (laughs) That is it for our show this week. I wasn't sure I could get a whole show out of hands across America. I mean, even at the time, it was pretty much forgotten about a week after it happened because it was never much of a muchness. Just a cutesy idea that was so very 80s that if you tried it any other time in American history, you'd be laughed out of the room. I mean, come on. You could just put a photo of something on your social media profile or dump something over your head and fix the problem. 
Speaking of doing the minimum amount, rate and review the show wherever you get your pods. That is the least you could do to help out with a show, which is pretty much a big dumb idea going nowhere and doing nothing for podcasting. If you want to do just a little more, hit us up on patreon.com slash what the hell podcast and kick us a dollar for the ice in my whiskey glass that I don't put over my head, but I just put more whiskey in on top of. So, you know, listen at the end and do what Jeremy tells you to do. And for me, Dave, with a little love and some tenderness, Bledsoe, producer, with a little peace and some harmony, we'll take the world together, take it by the hand. Gavin, and all the fictional blowfish on the show, we want to say that we really are going to love you the best that we can. But given that we're pretty much awful people, we're positive that won't be satisfying for anyone involved. We'll see you all next week. Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What the Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Mental hippies! Put your filthy hands together.